The scripture reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen from me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you all very much for uh, your prayers. As Sandy and I went down to see her dad, Norm, um, he was doing better than uh, we had we had thought, but is still very ill. So thank you for for your prayers. Paul is about to wrap up his letter to the beloved Philippians. And as he often does, uh, he starts to kind of open up and give broad uh, instructions about living the Christian life. And that's what he's doing here. He ends by saying, I want you to stand firm, beloved. Stand firm in the Lord. I want you to be planted in the Lord. I want your life to be grounded in the Lord. We might today use the language of centered. I want you to have a centered life. I want you to to, to live in, in, in just kind of out of the relationship that you have with Christ. That's what I want for you amidst all the challenges that you're facing. It reminds me of Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. You know, a big, big mighty oak tree that uh, is, uh, is just there no matter what kind of windstorm is, is coming through. So Paul wants us to be rooted and planted and centered in the Lord. And now what what he does in verses 2 to 9 is is he gives general instructions about how we might move towards that centered life. And we're going to look at that tonight. I think we're going to be addressing this in some way during Lent. I've been praying about that, not exactly sure, but uh, something's kind of percolating there. 
But let's look at tonight about this idea of living a centered life in God. And the first instruction he gives is to seek help with relational problems. He's going to get real practical here tonight. He mentions two ladies who probably were present at the planning of the church. He obviously loves them. He has a lot of respect for them. He calls them partners in the gospel. But he urges them to agree in the Lord, to be unified in the Lord, to, to reconcile in the Lord. But then he says, he, he says to his true companion, a man he knows in the church that we don't know the name of, he says, I want you to help them. Now stop and think about that just for a moment. I, I think that's uh, an important uh, principle for us. Sometimes we get to a place in our relationships where we can't reconcile. And one of the resources God gives us for healing our relationships are other people in the body of Christ. Peacemakers. Dan, what's the, the website of that ministry you shared with us about peacemaking? I was going to look that up. Do you remember the name of it? Is anybody, Ken Sandy? Yeah, what's the name of it? It's something like peacemakers.org. It's a wonderful uh, list of resources in the body of Christ when we get into conflict and we don't know what to do. And it provides training as well for people to come in and help us reconcile. And this is so important. Ephesians 4 says, uh, be angry, but do not sin, because if you sin, let the sun go down in your anger, you'll give the devil an opportunity. In other words, when, when we allow relationships to uh, be unreconciled, we create a vulnerability for the whole community, and especially for yourself, that makes it very hard for you to be centered in the Lord, right? I mean, some of you are struggling tonight even focusing on what I'm saying because there's a serious relational problem in your life, and it's very hard for you to be, be centered in the Lord. And, and I found with, over the years that often in a conflict situation, I'll suggest, hey, how about we get another brother or sister that you trust and uh, sit down with them, and, and maybe they could help you work, work it out. I bet I've offered that a hundred times, and, and it's been accepted about twice. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because if you bring someone else in, he might take the other guy's <laughs> point of view. If it's just me and you, at least I got a 50% shot. But this is something God wants us to do. Michael Wood and I have known each other 20 years, and uh, we got, about every couple of years, we'd get into a big fight, and we were in a big fight, and uh, we couldn't figure out how to unravel it. But we're brothers. He stuck with me. No, he, he knows it. And we couldn't figure it out. And so we called Buddy Odom over here, and we said, can we just come over, sit in your living room, and can you help us unravel this? And Buddy does that really well. I think there are some people in the body of Christ that have that gift. And uh, we were there a couple hours, and Michael saw his sins, and uh, <laughs> uh, it, it all worked out. No, we both, we both saw in a way that we couldn't see before. So if, if you're locked off center tonight because of a relational tangle that you can't resolve, there are people in this body and other places that you love and respect, that love you, that if you sit down with them, you might be able to unlock it. And, and that's true in families, too. It's true in marriages. 
Sometimes you just need another, another pair of eyes on the situation. Well, the next practical instruction he gives is, is one that we've been talking about all through this study in Philippians and wrestling with. It's, it's that real simple one. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say. Rejoice. And that just sounds so simple. And we marvel at the fact that Paul is in prison. He's near death. He's suffering. And he's able to talk about his great joy in the Lord. And, you know, I've been honest with you. I struggle sometimes with depression. And, and, and this book has been kind of a love-hate relationship because I've not always felt what I've been preaching to you. Um, what does it mean? How does that help us stay centered in Christ? Well, uh, Daryl Arnold, here last week, our, our brother from Overcoming Believers Church in East Knoxville, calls me Tuesday, and Daryl never just has a normal conversation. He, he, so he, I said, hey, how you doing? He says, when do you go to bed? I said, Daryl, how about a high brother or something? I said, you know, he said, when do you go to bed? I said, 9.30, uh, which is true. Um, and he said, well, Friday night we're having an all-night prayer meeting. Will you come over at 11 and preach for me? <laughs> And so I did. Um, a couple of you came. Yeah, and it was a beautiful time. Uh, they, they'd been on a 21-day consecration, and they'd been fasting for two days uh, entirely. And they ended with a 10, to, 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. prayer service. Um, and so we're, we're, there's some incredible worship. I ministered from the Word for a while. And one of the things that, that just struck me was the, incre- the joy in the room. And I know sometimes you can whip it up and you can fabricate it, and, uh, and that's not what was going on. I'm, I'm starting to get to know friends over there. And, and here's the other thing that I noticed as I was seeing people just pour out their heart in praise. She lost a son in a gang shooting. Her son's about ready to go to jail. He's got two strikes against him, and if uh, he gets caught with weed, he goes to prison for life. And out of this brokenness comes this amazing joy in praise. And so here's what I've learned during Philippians. Um, I think in the Lord is the key to this whole thing. I think this is really a call to faith to say that when you are suffering... Even if you do feel depressed or sad or terrible things go on, uh, put your trust and hope in the Lord, and that will give you joy. Not not honeymoon joy, um, not win the national championship joy, something deeper than that. Kind of a narrower joy, maybe a quieter joy, maybe a tear-stained joy. But it's a very real joy when it's found in the Lord. Centered people learn to praise and trust God when they are struggling. and That's where they find joy. I had a conversation with some friends recently about how your understanding of joy changes as you age. Um, Sandy and I, on the way down, listened to a book. I think it was called was it Being Mortal. Um, you know, there's, 
I don't know if I'd recommend it. <laughs> it's about dying. And so we thought, well, now's the time. Let's go face this. And it's by a surgeon, and he's, he's essentially saying Americans don't die well. And it's 314 pages of pretty rugged exploration of that. And I, and I found myself thinking as we were listening and thinking as we were walking along during the week and thinking as I was walking with some other friends, what, is, what does joy look like later in life when, when the options kind of narrow more? Earlier in life, for me, a lot of joy was found in new things, new adventures, new friends, new children, new degrees, new opportunities. That's a wonderful uh, joy. It's beautiful. But what about in the season of life when, when friends start, you know, passing and the options are, are narrow? What does joy look like, like then? And we had this great discussion on, on whether or not belly laughter <laughs> was a, a true mark of joy. Because one of my friends said, I, I don't belly laugh as much as I used to. And we... I think we concluded that that was okay. That uh, there's still an opportunity for joy. I don't want to embarrass anybody tonight, but one of the most touching experiences of my past year was this incredible opportunity I had to meet a a wonderful family, Jack and Karen Maples, whose son passed um, after eight years struggling with a mental illness. And... um, uh, they allowed me to tell their story in the paper a few weeks ago, and um, they're here tonight. And as we were in their car going over to see Jackson's grave last fall, and they were telling me about eight years of trying to care for a mentally ill child, I myself had been struggling with some depression and wondering what joy looked like, and it was like the Lord said, Looks like Jack and Karen Maples. It looks like Jack and Karen Maples. I don't know if they Billy laugh much. I think they know something about joy. Well, the third instruction that that Paul gives is live graciously toward others. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And that Greek word is pretty rare. It's hard to translate. It has this idea of gentle forbearance, not judging, uh, being ready to forgive. Uh, Pope Francis uh, has made this idea of being gracious or merciful the, the theme of the year. Uh, uh, Father, uh, in our downtown pastors group, uh, our, our brother who's a Catholic priest was telling us about this, and I don't understand quite how all it works out, but uh, I've been reading some of the things that uh, Pope Francis has been saying about mercy, and he, he, he's kind of calling the church back to mercy as our primary way of loving people. And he said in a sermon, Dear brothers and sisters, let us be enveloped by the mercy of God 
We will feel God's wonderful tenderness. We will feel God's embrace. And we too will become more capable of mercy, patience, forgiveness, and love. So there's something about being in the Lord and knowing his mercy and feeling his love. As Rebecca prayed, we just have such a hard time really understanding his love that that flows out in how we love others and how we're gracious and non-judgmental towards others. So question. How's your anger? Uh, Lent is about to begin a week from Wednesday. We'll have some Ash Wednesday services, two up in the chapel, and then the, the evening will be down here. And every year we start with a question. We give you a little card. I'd encourage you to even be praying now about what the Lord wants to work on in your life during Lent. And maybe this year it's anger. Maybe you're just noticing, gosh, you're just so cynical. It just is always flowing out of you, cynicism. Or maybe you're the sarcastic guy. You just, you figured out, you can get a laugh with a snarky, sarcastic comment. Or maybe it's kind of a passive-aggressive thing. You're all smiles and jokes, and then when you get on Facebook, (laughs) or maybe you're just aware in your heart that you always know a better way to do it. You always could have organized that better, led it better, taught it better, played it better. You're an expert on everything from the Super Bowl to neurosurgery. You've got it all. You just know, because you do. Well, maybe during Lynn, if that's what you're struggling with, you might ask, why am I such an angry person? Well, it probably has something to do with not really being centered in the Lord, not, not yet tasting the Lord's mercy for you. Centered people are gracious people because they've tasted grace. Fourth instruction, overcome anxiety through prayer. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety is a part of the human condition. It's something we all struggle with. Some of us struggle more with it than others. Others, Paul addresses that here. He says it doesn't have to control us. He says the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. That's where he starts his discussion anxiety. Uh, a centered person, someone who's centered in Christ, someone who's living out of their, their relationship with Christ, will begin uh, to, to find some help with their anxiety. And one of the reasons why is, is they start to understand that the Lord is near. I mean, he's here. He's your dad. He loves you. He cares for you. He's right here. And he wants you to talk about it. Talk with him. He wants you to present your request to God. What request? 
in all things make your requests known to God. In, in some translations, in everything make your requests known to God. And what happens? The peace of God that surpasses understanding will take over your heart. He also says to do that with thanksgiving. And again, I don't want to oversimplify everything. I understand there's a lot of causes for anxiety. I don't want to heap shame on you if tonight at 3 o'clock in the morning you're going to be awake, anxious as you are every night at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then you're going to hear a voice that comes along and says, Pastor says if you prayed, you'd stop being anxious, and I prayed, and I'm still anxious, and now I feel more anxious because my prayers don't relieve my anxiety. Ask me how I know how this conversation in your head goes. That's not where we're going. But there's a principle here, beloved. At least try it. Your dad's crazy about you. And he he cares about all things. Well, I don't want to pray for parking spaces. That's stupid. I care. I pray for parking spaces. You know, if we're asking Bob Milikowski in St. John's, uh, New Hampshire, to get us a parking place, okay, limit the email. But this is not him. This is God. Ask him about all things. What Thanksgiving? Oh, man, there's something here. There's something about gratitude that just is so powerful. Gratitude just bursts through depression, it bursts through anxiety. It's like a big, uh, if I ever use tools, I could have an illustration here. What do you, you know, Scott, what do you call that? You know, a choppy thing. It's like a big choppy thing that axe, we'll go with axe. It's an axe that breaks the chains of anxiety and depression. Now see, Daryl would have just run with that. It's just not fair. Oh well, okay. But you get the idea. You get the idea. There is just something so powerful about this simple childlike faith where you lift every need you have up to him. And if you are up at three in the morning and you can't sleep, don't turn on the TV. Don't check your email. Don't check Facebook. Pray. Read the word and pray. That's where you'll find peace. And do you know, beloved, that uh, all around the world, people get up at 3 in the morning to start their day with prayer? They're called monks. And God may just be giving you a little opportunity for extra prayer time. 3 in the morning is a great time to pray. Centered people overcome anxiety through prayer. Well, then he ends his, his instruction on living a centered life with this classic Passage, this was the, on the motto of where I went to college, this was underneath it. I don't think Paul quite meant it that way, but (laughs) that's where it was. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he says, and follow my example. One of the things that I discovered as I was looking into the commentaries this week is that Paul has on purpose chosen a list of Greek words that a Greek reader would have heard as referring 
to great art. He had a lot of words that he could have used to just refer to Scripture, and I guess for years I always thought he just meant Scripture here, and of course it includes Scripture. Think on Scripture. We could go to a thousand verses to say that. But he didn't. He, he goes to secular Greek, and he chooses words that related to great plays, great philosophy, great rhetoric, great poetry, great sculpture, and he applies them to the Christian life, and, and, and it's like he's saying, think on beauty. Expose yourself to beautiful things. Read excellent literature. and Go to art museums. and Think about beauty because beauty reflects God's beauty. Well, I'm no art historian, but it's obvious that a, a lot of literature and film and art today is not really built around a Christian worldview. A lot of it's built around nihilism or a worldview of despair. A lot of it is, you know, contradicts the gospel. And I, I understand that that gets into a whole discussion about art. But I would say this. An excellent story does not have to end with a conversion to help you move towards Christ. An excellent film that opens your heart to love and loss and meaning and dreams and grace can be used by the Spirit of God to move you towards Him. Think on the things that center you in Christ. And you know what they are. This is why we can't have a rule book. You know what they are, and you know what they're not, right? I mean, can we at least be honest about that? You know, after you've been in something for a while, on your phone or on your computer, in your, in your ears, you know whether or not it's centering you in Christ or pulling you away from Christ. You know it. You do know it. If it's not moving you towards Christ, stop reading it. And you might find there are some things out there that move you towards Christ that you haven't even discovered yet. But the rule about what you expose yourself to is, in the end, does it move me towards Jesus Christ? Let's pray.